Welcome back to Word Balloon, the comic book conversation show. John Suntris here. Uh, Comic-related talk today on Word Balloon because we've got two television people that are going to be at the Long Beach Comic Expo this weekend. It's uh, the 28th through the 1st at the Long Beach Convention Center, Saturday and Sunday. Very happy to be talking with Greg Weissman, who you know from uh, great television animation like Gargoyles and Young Justice, currently works on Star Wars Rebels, and uh, is involved this weekend at Long Beach doing several panels and uh, involved, too, with the Dwayne McDuffie Award for Diversity in Media. And uh, really great to uh, hear Greg's thoughts on where uh, superhero animation is these days. We talk a lot about Young Justice because it was really one of my favorite cartoons of recent memory. And uh, Greg has kind of seen the evolution of animation. And uh, it's good to get uh, some facts from him behind animation, because a lot of times, as you know, shows like Young Justice and Spectacular Spider-Man were great shows that ended too quickly for a lot of fans' uh, tastes. And uh, we weren't sure why. He's got a new young adults uh, novel out as well that he talks about and uh, hints at some future plans. So it'll be nice to talk to Greg Weissman uh, to wrap things up today on Word Balloon. First, we're going to talk to Mark Guggenheim, though. And Mark, you know, and Greg, too, both longtime comic book writers involved with the business. And Mark also finding wonderful success in live action television. I love Eli Stone, as I tell him. But uh, certainly uh, what's been going on with Arrow and Flash, the animated series Vixen that is coming up on the CW Seed. Uh, really exciting time for live action superhero programming. And I really had some big que- uh, picture questions for Mark in terms of how things have changed in really like the last seven years. Eli Stone was a show that came on, as he says, during the writer's strike. And uh, you think about where television was even in 2007 compared to where it is today. And uh, it's really great to uh, pick Mark's brain on that. Of course, we have a lot of Arrow and Flash talk as well. So I hope you'll enjoy that. So uh, Mark Guggenheim, Greg Weissman on today's Word Balloon. Uh, They're going to be at Long Beach Comic Expo this weekend. And I urge you to uh, go out there to the Long Beach Convention Center. But you get a taste of what they're going to be talking about today on Word Balloon. All brought to you by the League of Word Balloon listeners. Thank you for your continued support. If you like what you hear on Word Balloon and want to help the show out, go to patreon.com slash wordballoon. If you could spare a buck a month, that would be great. Patreon.com slash Word Balloon. Word Balloon is also brought to you by InStock Trades at InStockTrades.com, where there are excellent deals happening right now at InStock Trades. Things like uh, you can save up to 70% off of IDW titles. You can save up to 45% on all of DC and Marvel titles. 70% also on uh, select image titles. Things like Fade Out, the uh, new series from Sean Phillips and Ed Brubaker, Volume 1, Act 1 is out the trade. 50% off is just $4.99. You can get the uh, Justice League Dark Trade paperback, Paradise Lost, 50% off, $7.49. Thor, the Epic Collection, 50% off, it's just $17.49. You can get Scooby-Doo Team-Up. Things like Scooby-Doo's crossover with Batman and Robin and more. 50% off, just $6.49. Reach back for some excellent work on Airboy. Airboy Archive trade paperback. That goes back to the weekly Eclipse run back when uh, Chuck Dixon was writing the legacy uh, Airboy character that they had in Eclipse. I love that series. Check out Volume 3 for 30% off, $20.99. You can get New Avengers trade paperback, Volume 3, Other Worlds, 
John Hickman at his best, 45% off, $10.99. You can get uh, from Derek Robertson, Art of the Boys. The Complete Covers Hardback Collection is 30% off, just $27.99. From Rob Gilroy and John Lehman, you can get True, uh, Volume 9, Chicken Tenders, 42% off, $8.69. Where? At InStockTrades.com. Check out all the great details that are waiting for you at InStockTrades.com. Man, as I say right at the beginning of this interview, so happy to finally get Mark Guggenheim on Word Balloon. I am a longtime fan. Uh, he was one of the great uh, Brand New Day writers of Spider-Man. Uh, I, of course, give it up to him for his great run on Blade with Howard Chaikin back in the day. Excellent television writing as well. Shows like Law & Order. But uh, Eli uh, Stone was that great uh, John Lee Miller uh, show that uh, happened well before elementary and it was a quirky show kind of ahead of its time and uh, got Arrow and Flash and everything that's happening television wise for uh, DC through the CW it's amazing and we've come a long way from the days of Smallville I'll tell you and it's a much different television world Vixen is coming up soon on the CW Seed that's the online digital platform where we'll be able to watch uh, Vixen's origin happen and uh, think of all the new DC uh, heroes that are making their live television debuts that's amazing it's nice to see that both DC and Marvel are doing so well in the live action world so uh, it's a pleasure to have Mark Guggenheim on Word Balloon right now Mark Guggenheim, long time coming. Welcome to Word Balloon. It's a pleasure to have you, man. Oh, it's a pleasure to be here. Hey, uh, before we get into all the great TV stuff that has been going on recently, two things. One, loved Eli Stone and really... Oh, thank you. Absolutely, man. Really, really enjoyed that show. And uh, also, uh, your your 12-issue run on Blade with uh, Chaikin? Oh, yeah, that was a favorite of mine. Excellent. Well, I'm glad to hear that, Matt, because honestly, I always tell Howard that, too. That was like one of my favorite runs uh, for both of you oh, guys. You. Absolutely, man. No, that was really, really good stuff. And also, I loved Chicken's like kind of w- like weird-looking Spider-Man. You know what I mean? I mean, it right? was... You know what I mean? You do know what I mean. Yeah. I mean, no, it's 100%. I mean, Howard has such a unique style, and I, you know, I, I certainly at the time couldn't remember a time when he had drawn Spider-Man. I agree. Um, you know, and it was so much fun to see, and, and you know, it, it, was, it, it was a blast, actually, to, to begin the run with that image of, of just, you know, uh, Blade and Spider-Man fighting each other. <laughs> you know, we, we've got a limited amount of time, so I'm going to ask you some big picture questions. And also, I don't want you to spoil, because I like, okay. you know, I, I like watching stuff as it happens and stuff. But can you just give me a sense, too, just to start with this, like, amazing time right now where the DC Universe is really getting this amazing exposure on live TV on so many different platforms? Uh, you're about to start uh, the Vixen animated series, too, on mm-hmm. the CW seed. Um, but yeah, like, you know, I mean, can you, are, are you guys blown away in terms of the reaction that the mainstream public has had? It, you know, it's really terrific. I mean, it, you know, when we started out, you know, just doing Arrow, it was, it was basically like, okay, well, you know, low, low expectations, like, and a lot of cynicism, um, coming our way. Uh, and we just wanted to make a good show, which is itself 
uh, you know, a big, big challenge. Um, it's, you know, it's, it's not easy making these TV shows, no matter what type of TV show you're doing. <laughs> and, um, it, you know, we were just thinking, like, okay, let's let's get through the first 13 episodes, you know. Let's, um, let, let's just uh, survive. And now to be here three years down the road and, and there's, you know, there's Flash and there are all these other superhero shows um, and we keep adding new uh, and different superhero Heroes to Arrow mm-hmm. it seems like almost every week. It, it's a little crazy, and it's definitely nothing uh, like we anticipated. Um, our, our goal really was just to tell a good story and 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 hopefully get picked up for a second season. And here we are, you know, already picked up for season four and finishing up season three. And it's it's a little it's a little weird, I gotta say. Uh, you know, I don't think uh, any of us have the personalities where we plan for success. I I, <laughs> I can appreciate that. And again, like you know, Eli Stone is a good example of as great. If as a show as it was, really tough to get an audience and and really meet that you know network need of how many eyeballs to really keep something great going. Yeah, it, well, that's you know I tell you, I mean Eli Eli was sort of a function of you know we we came on during the writer strike, sure. we were in the wrong time slot due to the writer strike. Um, you know we might have been a little you know ahead of our time in terms of the musical numbers, which you know I think sort of took television by storm later. <laughs> But, but, yeah, I mean, you make an excellent point, which is it's not about just having the right show. It's about having the right show at the right time. Yep, absolutely. Do you think there's a potential here for, and again, uh, you know, believe me, you guys are, this is a good first world problem to have. But does the DC Universe have the potential of being like a CSI or a Law & Order for, for the CW? Because, again, I think the great thing is these shows are connected, but obviously do stand on their own. And I think what we've seen in The Flash really is great and it's great that you know you have things like the crossover we you can dip back and forth and these guys are you know kind of in the background of each other's stories but by the same token you know stand alone and uh, certainly you know all everyone is hoping that uh, things follow through with uh, with the atom as well yeah, well, you know, I mean, it, it's it's a great thing. What, you know, one of the things we always say is that all of these shows need to be different. Um, you know, that Flash is very different from Arrow, and if we were to do a third show, it, that would have to be, you know, different from both Arrow and Flash. Um, and, and that's the fun, you know, the fun thing to, you know, get to think about and fantasize about. Um, you know, I... You know, I'm a sucker for uh, spinoffs, and I'm a sucker for shows like, you know, Six Million Dollar Man and The Bionic Woman to date myself, where you sort of have sure. these two, essentially these two superheroes um, operating uh, in the same universe. Uh, it's occasionally crossing over with each other. What would happen on one show would get reflected on the other. Um, I, I get, you know, I get excited thinking that we're doing sort of the modern day version of that. I agreed. Um, is have especially now that you know on the movie side things are really ramping up. Have there been characters that they've said no to you guys? Since you know, and you can tell me or not, but in, just even in general, you know, are there areas that you've wanted to get into or characters you've wanted to introduce? And they're like, "Yeah, sorry, we're making a movie about that or whatever." Um, you know, it's it's more even more complicated than just the movie side of it. You know, DC is you know they're developing a whole host of TV projects as well. So right. I mean, it's a very rich universe. That's and true. A lot of characters at the same time. You know, I think we recognize that uh, we we certainly can't lay claim to all of them. Um, and also that said, there's there's certain characters that just don't you know necessarily work in the in the quote unquote grounded reality of Arrow. Um, you know, and, and may not work on Flash for 
for a variety of different reasons. So part of it's, you know, uh, just a discussion, quite frankly, that we have with DC where it's trying to balance the tones of the show, uh, our creative trajectories on the show, with also the realities that some of these characters may be spoken for in either television or other mediums. Well, congratulations on both uh, what you guys have done so far with the Adam uh, at this season on Arrow and also uh, Raza Ghoul introducing him. Uh, I, I think it is really great and, and appreciated the nods to those classic Roz stories. Uh, you know, like, of course, and, and all the women love the shirtless uh, fight between us. <laughs> <and Roz. laughs> well, you know, it's funny. I think, I think we get a lot of credit. Uh, for that when we are really just uh, homaging, uh, you know, the O'Neill Adams uh, yep. Batman run. Sure, man. Absolutely. No, that's that's great stuff. And it's just great that, um, you know, because obviously it happened on Smallville, too, where it seemed like Ollie kind of took that Batman role. And uh, I really think, obviously, you guys have evolved beyond that as well, clearly, in terms of what you've been able to do. do you, is there a difference in environment now? that um, the way that you guys have been able to spin off, can you compare it to that Smallville era? I, I don't remember if you wrote for Smallville at all. Uh, I didn't, actually. Um, you know, I think it's, it's, similar to, um, it's similar to Smallville, I guess, in the sense that our universe keeps expanding, as Smallville mm-hmm. did. Um, you know, certainly, you know, the Arrow, uh, you know, Green Arrow as a, as a character, it's always been hard, and we've never gone out of our way to deny it. Uh, it's always been hard to say that Green Arrow wasn't a an homage, uh, if you will, to Batman. You know, they're both you know billionaire protagonists sure. who are unpowered. Um, I mean, even uh, you know, even Green Arrow had a Green Arrow mobile and an yes. Arrow cave. And you know, one of my favorite moments of the Kevin Smith run on Green Arrow was Batman being in the Arrow cave and saying to uh, Green Arrow, "Did you ever have an original thought?" <laughs> Agreed. <laughs> but you're right. Even in the Golden Age creation, I, I'm I'm sure that was what was running in their minds and stuff. Yeah, you know, Batman's doing great. We need another character like that. And certainly there were a ton of those in the Golden Age, not just coming out of DC and National, but all the other competing publishers as as well. Um, man, the Flash. I got to tell you, I and I and I really Arrow is a trip. It is so great that the Flash works as well and works on this different level. And I appreciate, I, I read in a recent interview you did, and you talked about how initially the plan really was, especially with Arrow, no superpowers. Let's keep it, you know, street-level vigilanteism and everything. And uh, I, I think, you know, having Arrow now, or rather having Flash, you've got, you get into science. You teased as well in the same interview that with Vixen, you're getting into magic. Right. So exactly. You, yeah. So talk about that evolution and, and the I mean, that that really does open up the possibilities then for the, the all of the aspects of the D.C. universe playing out in live television. It's true. I mean, I think the one the one area we haven't touched on is, is extraterrestrials just yet. And, uh-huh. um, you know, certainly what I said about each show should feel different and, and bring something new to the table. That that goes for the Vixen series as well. Um, you know, with, with Vixen, we're getting a chance to play around a bit with magic, um, which is, is interesting because it's, you know, as you'll see in the Vixen series, uh, the the reaction to the character of Vixen and what she can do is is different on the part of Oliver and Barry than what you might expect. 
uh, actually, it's, it's Oliver who's a little quicker to buy into the possibility of Vixen's powers than Barry is, because Barry can't square it with science. But <laughs> Oliver, um, you know, as he said, as he says in a future episode of Arrow, uh, basically says, you know, I've, I've been around the world and I've kind of seen some stuff. And, um, you know, I've got a pretty broad view of, of what's possible. Um, but having, having magic become part of our, our Arrowverse is, uh, it's, it's a nice thing because, again, it's a, it's a color that uh, adds, you know, more to our tool chest. But at the same time, uh, it, magic feels like it can fit within the world of Arrow um, in, a, in a quite easier way than, you know, than supernatural science does. You know, and also congratulations on casting because, God, you know, Stephen and Grant are doing great. I'm really happy for Brandon Routh because I think he got kind of a, a, a lousy deal in the Superman movie. A lot of things that were wrong with it weren't his fault. And I think between – and yeah, and I think between you guys and also even his spin on Chuck really kind of showed it's like – and even Scott Pilgrim and stuff. It's like, yeah, you know, there's some talent here, man. So really that's great that you guys have given him a platform and potentially even more if uh, things keep going the way they are. Brandon is a phenomenal talent, and he's a total star. And I, you know, I, I've always felt that he had more in him than Superman, and he's been proving that with Chuck and Scott Pilgrim, and and I think on Arrow, and um, you know, in in these future episodes, as, as he continues his path towards becoming Adam, uh, I think you'll really get to see uh, the the length and breadth of Brandon's talents, which which are prodigious. Excellent. And uh, on the Flash side, man, and I, you know, Walking Dead has this same problem too where you know us comic fans all cross our arms and like well we know where th- what's going with the reverse flash and everything and you guys have kept us guessing and even the reveals that we've gotten so far and just in case anyone isn't caught up i'll leave it at that i'm still not convinced we know everything and um and that's great because it excites us that we you know all bets are off we're not sure about what's going on so well, I tell you, I, I, my, I tip my hat to uh, Greg, Andrew, and, and Jeff every time I watch an episode of Flash. Um, you know, I'm, I've, I watch as an audience member. I'm along okay. the ride, and I, I'm totally uh, entranced by what they've come up with, even though they have spoiled for me uh, sort of <laughs> some, you know, future events. Um, I, I still get a chance to enjoy the, the show, um, even though I'm not always surprised because I have some inside knowledge. But uh, it's a wonderful, wonderful show, and, and those guys are working in incredibly hard on it. Excellent. And um, all right, well, then, you know, I could focus back on Arrow then. And um, was was the plan always that Laurel was going to be Black Canary or did that change for some reason? Because it seemed like Sarah was on that path. Am I right? Yeah. You know, um, well, it, it was always the plan, um, and we always had this plan that Sarah would sort of be the canary, and uh, Laurel would become eventually the black canary. Got it. Um, you know, and that's something. If, if you go back to when we first announced the canary character, we, we pretty much said that we hinted very, very, very strongly that that was our ultimate plan. But I think uh, I don't think anyone was really paying attention. Um, but if you, but fortunately, we. We lived in the time of the internet where nothing is is ever erased, uh, and, and people can can go back and take a look at you know what what we said, uh, particularly at Comic Con when we premiered the Canary character. Um, you know, it, we we always knew that we were heading in this direction. I, I think the only thing we didn't know at the time was uh, that we were going to kill off Sarah, but. Um, you know, as far as Laurel's ultimate trajectory, that that was never in doubt. Um, 
you know, we always knew that we were going to do this. And, and one thing, I, again, that we said at the time was it, th- this is a trick that we use a lot, which is, you know, the death stroke that you met uh, in season one wasn't the Slade Wilson death stroke. Uh, the, you know, Merlin, the Tommy Merlin that you met didn't turn out to be the Dark Archer. Right. Uh, it turned out to be his dad. We, we tend to, we, we like to use people's comic book expectations against them to surprise them. That's that, Well, and again, that's great because it keeps us entertained and guessing, and we've got some information, so we do, I think, it, it keeps us involved and engaged because we know a little bit more than, than the people that are really getting all this for the very first time, and, and yet gives us something to look forward to and say, well, yeah, well, all bets are off. We're not sure what's happening here, which is great. I, I love the inclusion of, of Ted Grant. As well, I'm a I'm a longtime Wild fan, uh, Wildcat fan. Oh, me too. Yeah, and I got to. I'm sure you did as well. Meet Erwin uh, uh, Hassan and everything, and then let him know how how much I enjoy the character. So definitely, uh, yeah. So the, no, and being a boxing guy as well. So no, I love Ted. So that that's great, and I. You know, I hope that we might even see more of his past. I know, you know, you guys do a great job with flashbacks and everything. That we get, you know, maybe a little bit more of uh, of, of Ted justice out there. <laughs> I'd love that. I mean, you know, we, we've certainly talked about that, and I, you know, I was really glad that in episode three twelve we were able to finally see him in the wildcat costume yeah. proper. And you know, it, it's uh, it's so funny. You would think with twenty three episodes a year we would have trouble filling out those twenty three episodes, but Lord, every every season we end uh, we and we leave storylines on the table that we have to return to the next year um, and and that's a quality problem but it, it's a it's a it's really something that's born out of having access to all these wonderful characters getting actors to to you know bring them to life um, it makes us want to write more and more stories can you look across the street and see what they did with agent Carter and shield and because honestly I can appreciate from a production standpoint the need for taking a hiatus and certainly uh, when these shows are still freshman shows like The Flash, it's a real good chance to give people to catch up, and also Arrow too. But do you guys envision a time where you might, you know, create your own uh, preemption to allow for that time uh, in between halves of seasons? You, you know, I don't know. Um, I mean, that, those are decisions that get you know made way above my head. Okay, I, I will say in general, I feel like ne- I. As someone who works in network television, I would love to see network television embrace what we call the shorter order. Sure. Um, you know, eight or 13 episodes as opposed to 22 or 23. Um, you know, it's it's becoming increasingly difficult to compete with cable. Yes. And in part, that's because we are just – you know, uh, you know, we're not we're not shitting them out, but we are certainly cranking out <laughs> 23 episodes a year. It's it's hard. Uh, it's hard to always maintain that that level of quality. Um, you know, and I also think if you have a shorter runs, you can run them uninterrupted, um, and and that's a virtue for getting the audience to come back week after week, um, as opposed to having to keep track of when the show's on, when the show's off, when the show's on. Um, so I don't know, you know, how you know, the CW or well sort of used the, you know, with the wheel experiment, uh, mm-hmm. you know, placing Agent Carter in the middle of, of S.H.I.E.L.D.'s, uh, you know, of S.H.I.E.L.D.'s run. You know, a lot of people are calling it a wheel. Um, sure. But I think I think this kind of experimentation is exactly what all the networks need to be doing with, with you know, if not all their shows, a good chunk of their shows, because um, we, we need to, we need to, play around with uh, the the way business has been done all these years. Absolutely. And I remember having this conversation with guys like uh, Loeb, Jeff Loeb and Jesse Alexander, too, 
you know, like five or really about seven or eight years ago now that I think about it, right around the time of the writer's strike. And and yeah, that thing of, you know, oh, it's got to be 22 to 26 episodes. And it's like, damn, that's a lot. And again, you know, I mean, this is what drove me nuts in the Buffy and Angel years where it was like, OK, yeah. I'm glad you enjoyed yourself. See you in about seven weeks. And you're like, no, what are you doing, right, man? Right. <laughs> exactly. I, you know, a hundred percent. So I'm all for the shorter order. I, I think it would be it would behoove uh, a lot of a lot of shows. Um, so, you know, maybe maybe we're you know slowly feeling our way there. Hopefully. You're, you've got a, a lot of panels. I, I just had uh, Greg Weissman on this same show, too. And I know you guys are doing a lot of panels at uh, Long Beach. Uh, yeah. Can you, yeah. Can you tell me uh, what, you're, what kind of panels and programming you're involved in? Yeah, I, I'm doing a crime writers panel um, cool. with Greg um, uh, on uh, Sunday, which uh, I'll be talking about my, my novel, Overwatch. Um, and I'm also doing a panel uh, with, with the showrunner of Agent Carter, uh, who happens to be my wife. No way. Oh, yeah. That's hilarious. Yeah, it's kind of funny. Oh my um, God, that's fantastic! Well, that's no, but that's good, man. And I can root for, root for yeah. both of you guys in the household because I've been high five and low about uh, how much I enjoy Agent Carter and everything. So now I can tell you how much I enjoy your wife's work. That's a great show, man. And there you go. Um, yeah. Uh, well, thank you. I uh, will pass it on to Tara. She will appreciate that. God, and you know, hey, man, I'm gonna have to like use my magic magic now, and hopefully, I can arrange a, a chat with uh, Tara when when things calm down. And you know, God, it's uh, that's great. Well, that's that's a hell of a household. So, do you guys like you know going up at neutral corners and kind of writing, you know, not let's see, let the other person see what you're doing. You know, it's so funny. Uh, everyone, you know, we, we joke about the sort of competition and joke, but the truth of the matter is, is that I, I've actually had a longer association with Marvel than than she has. Um, True. I've been writing Marvel books for going on ten years now. So wow, um, it's it's more like, hey, you get to work with Jeff. I know Jeff. Give him my best. Um, <laughs> you know that sort of thing because I know. Uh, yeah, I kind of, I kind of know, you know, all the people or a lot of the people that she's, uh, you know, working with uh, these days. So it's, it's kind of nice. It's like one big happy family. That's cool. So, um, tell me about. It's Overkill. Is the book? Is the novel? Oh, Overwatch. Overwatch. Excuse me. So, and I no, imagine no, no worries. Overkill. Overkill would be the sequel if I ever get a chance to write it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, tell me about Overwatch. What, uh, what can you tell us about uh, that? Yeah, Overwatch is it's it's for people who love legal thrillers and uh spy thrillers um because it's it's a bit of both. Uh the CIA has a legal department. Um so imagine basically something like The Firm set in the CIA and you have a pretty good sense as to what Overwatch is. Wow. All right, very cool. Uh, good elevator pitch too. I like that. That's excellent, man. Are you are you going to have copies that will you have a table at Long Beach and will you be selling, having copies uh, you there? No. I I wasn't able to hook up a uh I wasn't able to hook up a table um, because I've just been so busy with everything else. Sure. I do believe that Mystery Books uh, will have a table and, and you can buy copies of it of it there. Excellent. Very cool. And yeah, I see. You know, I see we're at our twenty. So if you got to go, I, we can wrap up. Um, you know, I kind of do only because I have a conference call in like two minutes. Not a problem. Let me let me give you a proper close then. Okay. Good luck uh, this weekend then at, at Long Beach. I'm sorry you weren't able to get a table, but people can go and uh, check out Mystery Books, and they should go to your panels. And I'm kicking myself that I can't see uh, you and Tara do your panel. But, uh, hey, man, when you do have more time, it would be great to get you back on Word Balloon, and uh, we can uh, talk more about uh, the wrap-up to Season 3 maybe if you got time in the summer and, uh, and, and talk more about this 
an amazing evolution of television, and I'm, uh, congratulations in being part of it and, and you know, making such a big impact and uh, really helping move the ball forward and getting more people into this great series of stories that we all knew were fantastic, but now, you know, more people get it. Well, thank you so, so much. I mean, it's, a, it's an exciting time, I think, for all of us. Uh, I remember when comic books were sort of in the pop culture ghetto, and uh, it's it's really nice to see it getting its just due and, and hitting the mainstream. And uh, no, I'm, I'm very, very privileged. Very lucky to be a part of it. Hey, Mark, seriously, thanks a lot. I'll let you go, and I, and I really appreciate it and look forward to talking to you again. Cool. Thanks, John. All right, wrapping things up now, we're going to talk to uh, Greg Weissman, currently with Star Wars Rebels, his wonderful series Gargoyles back in the day, and excellent work on Young Justice, an amazing DC Comics-related animated series. But Greg really puts it in perspective. I mean, I I always thought that Young Justice was a, a slightly bigger hit, but I think he is very clinically correct in assessing how well the show performed Uh, For its age demographics, the main reason that a lot of animation exists is to sell toys. And I think he gives us good background on that and uh, explains why shows like Spectacular Spider-Man and Young Justice didn't make it past their second season. I think uh, he gives us a good background on that kind of information in the animation world, but also, uh, you know, some good details, too, about Young Justice itself. That was my favorite Weissman television show of yet. And uh, so it was a pleasure to uh, meet and have uh, Greg Weissman on Word Balloon. And I present that conversation for you right now. Greg Weissman, welcome to Word Balloon. It's a pleasure to talk to you because I've been a longtime fan of your work. Well, thanks. It's great to be here. Uh, Congratulations on everything you've been doing in animation. I I want to ask the essay question, get it out of the way, because how how long have you been doing animation? My first, uh, I wrote my first cartoon, Freelance. It was an episode of Gem and the Holograms. I want to say it was around 1983. 687 okay somewhere in there um, but I didn't really start working full-time in animation till uh, 1989 okay all right well that's still you know like a, a good generation of animation and and my question is because I'm really impressed with the level of sophistication in character and in storytelling that we're getting now and I would imagine especially coming from you know, that far back that it's got to be gratifying to write a bit more of a sophisticated cartoon these days. Uh, You know, I've been doing the same thing for over 20 years now. Um, I I basically write to please myself. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, And, you know, we try and write these shows on, on levels so that there's plenty of eye candy for the youngest you know, uh, members of our audience, you know, explosions, cool monsters, things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but that there's also stuff in there for slightly older kids and for tweens and teens and adults and big geeks like me. So, you know, as long as I can do that, then, you know, I'm having a good time and it's all good. But it has, I don't feel like that's changed much over the last 20 years. It's pretty much what I've always been doing. Oh, that's cool. Okay, because, you know, yeah, I would, uh, you know, and again, maybe my memory is fuzzy, but it always seemed to me that there was more that G.I. Joe kind of, and again, I know that the, these are Y7 shows. These are aimed at children, and I, and I get that. But, yeah, that kind of, hey, declarative acting, and, man, we really need to go to that silver box over there as a as opposed to the much more naturalistic dialogue that we seem to be getting today. And then also, yeah, I just think that there's, I mean, God, Young Justice was rife with it. 
lots of good twists and turns and, uh, you know, real, you know, things were happening on a subtext beyond the 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 face value story and i mean you know you you got a ton of that and there were a lot of characters going through that which was wonderful well you know yj was a tremendous amount of fun to work on we had a, a great team uh, my partner brandon vietti is like the smartest guy in animation bar none um and uh and that includes me smarter than me for sure um <laughs> uh, and uh you know he and I and a great writing staff and tremendous uh, actors and our voice director, Jamie Thomason, and all our directors and board artists, we just had just some pretty incredible people on that show, and it let us do some really amazing stuff. Well, and it was also great to see, and taking nothing away from the shows in between, but... You know, Batman, uh, the animated series, and certainly the Justice League series had really left a real big uh, impact on a lot of us older fans. And re we really got into it. And the other shows, uh, you know, really, I mean, all these shows kind of need to find their footing. And amazingly, you guys hit the ground running in season one with Young Justice. But that's why it was so great to see that there was still more to do in a different way than what we got in Justice League. I mean, you know, Teen Titans was definitely uh, a tweener show, and that's what it was supposed to be. And Young Justice, you did feel like kids would like it, but my, uh, to me, what I always get excited about is when my old college roommate will call me, and yeah, he used to read comics and liked animated you know, films when he was younger and stuff, but when he's flipping through and he's like, hey, have you seen this Young Justice? He's like, damn, it's really good. I'm watching it every week. And, you know, the guy's in his late 40s. And I'm, and I'm like, that's great, man. I'm like, I agree with you. It's really good. So, you know, again, I know you're writing for yourself, but it just seems like, yeah, there's just this like, uh, it was nice to see that there was room for, to, to serve both audiences. What, you know, what, what, you know, is paying the bills and serving the Y7s, but really giving something that adults can truly enjoy as well on an action and, and character level. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, you know, that was kind of the goal was to, uh, like I said, plenty of explosions, plenty of colorful characters and colorful costumes and, um, you know, uh, familiar characters like Batman and Robin and Superman and, and then, you know, letting us also have the freedom to do everything in between. I mean, you know, it was a, the challenge at the beginning of Young Justice was that there were these great shows, Teen Titans on the one hand mm -hmm. and, and Justice League and Justice League Unlimited on the other hand, um, very different shows, and yet both covering a lot of the same ground. Teen Heroes on the one, and and the DC Universe on the other, mm -hmm. and the Justice League. And we were like, you know, when when Sam Register, our boss, first came to Brandon and I and said, "Hey, we want you to do Young Justice." You know, our initial reaction was not excitement; it was terror. Um, you know, because of those pre-existing shows that weren't that old. Right. You know, when we started developing Young Justice, it's not like, well, it's been a decade since Justice League went off the air or Teen Titans went off the air. I mean, those shows had just been on a couple of years past, and and we were like, what are we going to do that differentiates from either of those two? Um, you know, in other words, if we went so far away from Justice League, we'd wind up at Teen Titans or vice versa. Right. Um, so it was really a challenge. And again, I really credit Brandon for coming up with 
the sort of very smart, hey, let's not do a superhero show first and foremost. Let's do a spy show. Which was great. That was his idea. Um, And that gave us a way to sort of get into it that felt different from what had come before. So, you know, we always said we were a spy show first, a show about teenagers second, a show about superheroes third. And, you know, we wanted romance and comedy and action and all that great stuff in there. Um, but we had to have a unique take on it. And so we tried to do things that even in the sort of fantasy science fiction world that we were playing in would ground it in reality. And that extended to every element of the show. I mean, the way Brandon and Phil Barossa designed the costumes on the characters and, um, and, you know, us putting time and place stamps on every, yes. you know, new location, um, all that stuff was done to just give the audience a sense of grounding this in reality for the fantasy to sort of riff off of, but feel like this might really be happening on some universe somewhere. (laughs) What was, you clearly are a fan of DC history. Were there particular points or characters that you got a particular thrill of, man, I finally got to put this in something. It's something I've always wanted to do with, this character or this scenario or whatever? Well, I mean, I worked at DC Comics for, uh, you know, I started in 1983 writing uh, freelance for them and Mm -hmm. was on staff from 85 to 87, uh, first as an editorial assistant, which is a fancy title for Xerox Boy. Um, (laughs) And then then later as uh, an assistant editor and associate editor, but, you know, uh, I, I did get a chance to play with a lot of characters that I loved dearly. I mean, I wrote the Captain Adam title for years, and so it was great to be able to sort of feature him a little bit, both in the show as leader in season two of the Justice League. Yes. Um, and also, you know, in the our companion comic book, which I wrote or co-wrote. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, Black Canary is my single favorite DC Comics character, so it was great to sort of give her a bit of a showcase. I'd already um, done a, uh, a short, a Green Arrow short that used elements from a Black Canary miniseries I had written for DC mm-hmm. back when I was literally, uh, uh, you know, a kid in my, I think I was like 20, 21 years old or something like that. Um, and it never got published, so it was great to be able to put elements of that into that DC showcase and then to use Black Canary and Green Arrow in a fairly significant way afterwards. And, uh, you know, Red Tornado, I got to do some stuff with Red Tornado for that I'd wanted to do in a, another miniseries I had written for Red Tornado that never got published. Okay. So, uh, there was a lot of fun stuff in there that I got to do, but I've also always loved the teenage characters. Um, since I was a teenager and sort of inserting my own, you know, Mary Sue character into my imagination and stuff like that of what would happen in the ECU. And so getting to work with those, you know, Teen Titans, Young Justice characters and creating the team that we did was just a lot of fun. So did you spread that kind of Mary Sue wish fulfillment of yourself participating through a bunch of different characters through the run? 
you know, different scenarios? Uh, no, you know, I, I, I like to think, I don't know if it's true, but I like to think I've outgrown that. Uh, <laughs> that, that I've developed as a writer. So, you know, I, uh, you know, even as a kid, I sort of started off with, you know, my superhero that was basically a, a veiled version of me. Sure, sure. Interacting with, with the various DC characters and then, and Marvel characters because, you know, I like both a lot. And, um, and then, you know, over time it became clear, well, wait, I don't own those characters. I should do my own thing. So I, I've created my own superhero universe, which I've never actually been able to get. Uh, published anywhere or, or made a show out of, but God knows I've tried. Um, and, you know, so those characters exist now. Uh, you know, my universe exists as a whole separate thing that I'd love to do someday. Okay. Um, but, I, you know, it, it allowed me to sort of cleanse that out and not let it influence too much what I was doing with Play Spectacular Spider-Man when I produced that show or, or Young Justice. Well, I, you know, that leads to another question, because given your body of work and the stuff that you have done and the progression from Gargoyles to Young Justice to Star Wars Rebels um, and, and the, the, the track record that you've got out there, um, I know that a lot of cartoons obviously start with an IP that's either a toy or, you know, they're spinning off of a movie or a TV series. There's certainly a lot of, you know, televised animation that's happening there. And, of course, direct-to-video animation like that. Um yeah, I mean, how, like, it would seem to me, given your animation record and stuff like that, that some producer might want to do something with you. But, you know, maybe the money isn't there, if you don't mind, like, kind of explaining. Because it would seem to me like a guy like you or a Bruce Tim or somebody like that would be able to kind of, like, walk in and go, hey, I got something here. What do you guys think? Well, I definitely don't want to speak for Bruce. Well, certainly. I mean, I'll, you, know, <laughs> you call him up and you ask him. Like, I will. <laughs> I'm, talk, I'm talking to James um, Tucker in a couple of weeks, so I'll, I'll be I'll be asking yeah, James that question you know, too. Talk to James, yeah, definitely. Um, you know, incredibly talented guys, but I don't presume to talk speak for them. But in terms sure. of my situation, yeah, the reality is is that I, even I sometimes have these moments where I feel like I should be able to walk in and write my own ticket, but it's just not true. I understand. Um, you know, it, it the fact of the matter is is that. It's very hard to get any original property uh, off the map when you're talking about an, you know, uh, an action show, even with comedy in it. You know, um, those are expensive shows to make, um, and they're very reluctant to take a chance on that. They need, uh, you know, nine times out of ten, they need toy company backing. Sure, the toy companies are even more reluctant to take a chance on that. And, uh, so, you know, you're doing shows that most of the time based on existing IPs. Oh, okay. Well, and you know, I, I... go on, please. And, you know, so they're hiring you, you know, you're not walking in and saying, Hey, I want to make a show about red tornado. They're coming to you and saying, Hey, uh, we want you to make a show about spectacular Spider-Man, or we want you to make a show about justice or Star Wars rebels or whatever. They're not. You know, you're not walking in the door telling them what to make. They're sure. saying, we're making this show. Let's see if you... And I've got to audition all the time, almost, uh, not almost, much like an actor would. I mean, I come in, and, you know, multiple job interviews for almost every uh, series I've ever gotten. Um, 
you know, all sorts of people at multiple different companies or multiple different divisions within a company to convince to let us do the work. And uh, that's an ongoing reality, which is that um, there's rarely a time when someone looks at me and says, wow, you just did Young Justice. Here, let's hire you to do this. Um, that kind of happened to me on Young Justice. That is, I just finished Spectacular Spider-Man, which uh, I guess Sam Register must have liked well enough because he very intentionally brought me over to Warner Brothers to team me with Brandon and have us do Young Justice. Sure. But the truth is, coming out of Young Justice, I was unemployed for 14 months between Young Justice and Star Wars Rebels. Wow. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's a long time to go without uh, yeah. a regular gig. Hell Yeah. That sucks. Wow. And that's shocking. Although, you know, I mean, I know that a lot of these things are canceled, you know, and certainly it's not the producers. Like, it's not your your idea to do it, that, to cancel it or whatever. I know that happened with Spectacular Spider-Man. And, you know, uh, Disney gets bought. Or Mar- yeah, Marvel gets bought by Disney. And, you know, suddenly it's like, well, Disney needs to produce a cartoon. Let's kill this very successful, very popular cartoon, which is a shame. And I mean, no, Spectacular Spider-Man was outstanding. That's not really what happened. Oh, OK. That's not really. What no, happened. please. All right. Yeah. And I don't know if you're willing to go into detail or not. Yeah, I mean, I, I can go into a little detail and keeping in mind that all this is even as inside as I was seemingly, it's still sort of second or third hand information. Okay. But you have to keep the order of events in mind. If Please. Disney hadn't bought Marvel yet. Um, oh, it was Sony. Or, right? Or you go ahead. Go ahead, Greg. Yeah, Obviously, uh, you got the info. For, we worked for Sony. Okay. So Sony had the license to do Spider Man cartoons. And at some point, um, before uh, season two had finished airing, uh, Sony gave the rights back to Marvel to, to use Spider-Man in an animated cartoon. But that didn't mean that Marvel had the right to do the spectacular version of the show. So Marvel, at that point, has two options. Sony can't make any more seasons of Spectacular because the rights to make a cartoon with Spider-Man have reverted to Marvel. Right. Marvel, then, is the only one who can do Spectacular, but what that would require is for them to actually license back the Spectacular version of Spider-Man from Sony. That is, Marvel would have to pay Sony to use their own character. And you just knew that wasn't going to happen. Absolutely. And I don't blame them. Right. As much as they, you know, and we worked with Marvel on Spectacular, and I have every reason to think that the people there like the show, but there was no way they were going to pay money to Sony in order to use their own character. So, yep. And they also, I think, you know, Marvel's a very successful studio, obviously, and they also wanted a shot to do their own version of it. Sure. So um, that's what they did. Now, the fact that a few months later, Disney bought Marvel, I'm sure that didn't help. But it really didn't have much to do with it because by that time the decision had already been made. I see. No, and honestly, I, I appreciate that because I know a lot of fans really do, and, and rightfully so, will just see something on TV and they know it's great. And they know that everyone, all of their friends are watching it and they're like, I don't understand why this is being canceled. This makes no sense. What is going on? And, you know, am I right in assuming, given what I've learned interviewing guys like yourself in the business, that. Just the politics and the and the economics, as you just explained, that kind of ridiculous stance between Marvel and Sony after the fact 
that they would have to license their own character and pay money for the privilege of using their own character. Yeah, it just doesn't make sense. And also, um, are we moving beyond that idea, too, of because for years it was like, hey, if we got 52 uh, episodes, that's plenty. You know, let's let's get or even 26 or whatever. You know, I mean, it, it and, and I wonder how much that's changed as television continues to evolve. But getting getting beyond that, you know, 26, you know, and I guess maybe even 52 episodes might be a luxury in uh, in today's animated environment. You tell me. Oh, it is pretty much. I mean, when I started in the business, we considered 65 episodes was a hit. If you made fewer than 65, then you weren't a hit. If you made more than 65, that meant you weren't just a hit, but you were a home run. Yeah. And people don't seem, fans often, I find, don't seem to see the difference between a hit and a home run. So Young Justice was a hit. Yep. But it was a single. We were lucky if it was a single. And we had days where we, ratings-wise, we were striking out, let's be honest. Um, but at our best, we were a single. You know, if I go back to Gargoyles, season one, we were a double, maybe a triple. Okay. Um, <laughs> but by season two, we were a single. Um, and you don't make even more episodes of something off a single. You know, um, studios, again, fans view studios as having unlimited resources. And right. There's an element of truth to that. The fact of the matter is, is that... Um, Studios do have limited resources. They're way, I mean, their resources are way beyond anything that any individual person like you and I would have, but still they're limited. They're not unlimited is the key thing. And, and there's such a thing as opportunity cost, which means basically that if they've tried something out, even if it's done decent, they could sit there and go, well, we could make more episodes of this show that did okay. You know, and I'm not talking about creatively, I'm talking about financially. I understand. Or we could put that show aside and go for it with something else that may turn out to be a hit. Yep. We'll spend the money on something that may turn out to be an actual home run. Might not, might actually bomb, you never know. But at least we're taking a chance, we've got the opportunity here by spending the money on something that might turn out to be huge. Sure. And, you know, then they'll evaluate that show and decide whether it's worth pursuing further or not. Um, but you usually need some other reason to go beyond, you know, whatever they decide is the minimum amount of episodes. So, again, when I started, it was 65. Nowadays, you know, I think Young Justice, we did 46, and... And everyone's proud of those 46 episodes. And again, you're right. None of us who are working on the show wanted to stop, of sure. course. But um, they viewed it and said, well, we tried with this show. Proline didn't work. And that's where our budget came from. Understood. Um, and so they canceled the toy line. So we're going to cancel the show. Um, now, we could argue for hours probably about why the toy line didn't work and that sort of stuff. and But it doesn't change the basic fact of it, which is that toys didn't do well. I'm happy. The money for our show came from the toys. Therefore, if, you know, you got no toys and that's what's paying for the show, we're done. 
No Bucks, no yeah, Buck yeah. Rogers. I understand. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> absolutely, man. No, yeah. no. But I really, I honestly, I, I'm glad. Thank you for sharing that with my audience because, I, like I said, I do think a lot of viewers innocently get frustrated and don't realize that the toys are paying for the, uh, the for the cartoons, and that's that's the build of the dog, and that the the cartoon is kind of the tail, and and the toy is the dog, the 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 the, the tail can't wag the dog, so. You know, I, I, I appreciate that. Um, you know, I uh, can I real quick, because I, I, I appreciate you sticking around the uh, I, I like. Can you talk about uh, what's I, I first of all, Star Wars Rebels? We got to acknowledge it. Great show. Congratulations on the work you've done for it. Um, can, what can you tell me about the experience of working on that show? Well, you know, Rebels was a lot of fun. Worked with some really great people. Uh, Dave Filoni, Simon Kinberg were my partner. Cool. Executive producers on the show. Um, you know, Lucasfilm is a very cool place to work. Excellent. Um, and had a good time. And I'm still working on Star Wars. I'm writing a five-issue miniseries for... Uh, for Marvel. Marvel and Lucasfilm called Star Wars Kanan, The Last Padawan. Oh, that's and, great. Uh, and I'm really psyched about that. The first issue comes out in April, um, which is not that far away. I'm sure. almost done writing the fourth of five issues now. Um, and the artwork by Pepe Laras is just so gorgeous. It takes my breath away. And, um, you know, forget whether you like my stuff or not. The book's worth buying just based on Pepe's art. It's phenomenal. That's excellent, man. So do you want to do more comic book work as well? I mean, I know you were an editor, but, uh, you know, now that you're getting, uh, it sounds like more of a shot to write. As you said, you wrote a few things that, you know, unfortunately didn't get picked up like the Red Tornado and Black Canary thing. But uh, writing comics is part of the mix now for you? It always has been. Okay. Um, you know, I wrote Captain Adam for years. I wrote Gargoyles Comics. I wrote oh, I forgot. Comics. I've written uh, a bunch of different uh things over the years so um you know i wrote an issue of amazing spider-man i wrote you know it, it's my primary focus is animation that's what pays the bills sure. i love it but you know comic books was my first job out of co college and or frankly before i even was done with college i was working at dc and um but you know i'll take any comic book work i can get frankly that's cool no, I understand. And and I mean, have you have you do you have animation plans uh, beyond Star Wars Rebels, or you know, is this currently? Yeah, I'm working on a show. I'm working on a show now. It's a, uh, we haven't announced yet. So okay, I, I can't talk about that. But uh, um, started January fifth. It, uh, it's a lot of fun. It's a great property. Um, Nothing I've ever worked on before. So all the fans were sort of going, "Oh, is it more Young Justice?" No, I'm sorry. It's not <laughs> Something I've never worked on before, but it's it's going to be really fantastic. You know, I think it's going to be a lot of fun, and and uh, um, and so I'm looking for. I wish I could announce it, but they're telling me I can't. So. Okay, I understand. Well, maybe maybe when you can talk about it, you you might come back and and we could talk a little bit more about that and some of the other things that we didn't get to. As far as this weekend in Long Beach, you're going to be at the Long Beach Con. Um, I imagine, are you doing a couple panels? I'm doing five wow. panels. Wow. Holy cow. Six, five, Jesus. Six, something like that. Holy. Um, <laughs> yeah, I've got a panel on the Disney afternoon, which I was, you know, very much part of 
back when I was an executive at Disney. Um, I'm doing, uh, and, you know, obviously Gargoyles was Disney Afternoon. Yep. I've got a panel uh, on Gargoyles with uh, 10 members of the cast and crew. Outstanding. Um, are they doing it? A- our first three panel. Well, table read, baby, uh, for the Gargoyles cast getting together? Uh, I don't know. I uh, hadn't thought of that, but maybe. All right. That idea. Um, <laughs> and uh, we'll see. And uh, uh, then I've got a Young Justice panel um, with 13 members of the cast and crew wow. signing up for that one. Um, and in between is uh, the Dwayne McDuffie Award. Indeed. Uh, ceremony, which I plan on attending um, because diversity in both comics and animation frankly and everything is a is a huge issue for me agreed um, agreed so i want to support that um and that's all uh saturday and then sunday uh i've got a panel on uh young adult fiction i've written two books myself reign of the ghosts and spirits of ash and foam those are my first two novels the first two books and what hopefully will be a nine book series wow and uh, so, obviously, I want to do everything I can to promote those books because most people don't even know I wrote them. Um, and then uh, I'm doing a panel on Star Wars Canaan as well. Fantastic. That's excellent. I imagine Jordan White is your editor for uh, the Star Wars book, right? Jordan is, yeah. Excellent. Good man. Exactly. The best mustache in comic book editorial ship? Absolutely. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> I, I don't disagree. There you go, exactly. And I don't know, is uh, is Tad Stone's uh, a friend? Is he a Disney Adventures friend? Oh, sure, yeah. Tad and I, uh, uh, you know, Tad taught me a lot when I first started at uh, Walt Disney Television Animation. Uh, Tad, you know, taught me how to pitch shows, and I helped, I mean, not. I don't want to overemphasize my role, but I helped him develop Darkwing Duck. Oh, that's awesome. That was the first show I worked on in development. With Tad, and, I mean, period. But you know, that show was obviously Tad's baby, and and so I had a great time. And we learned a lot working with Tad on Darkwing. Nah, he's my, he, literally my favorite guy in animation. And uh, I, every every San Diego when we run into each other, I, I you know always always carve out a half hour at least where we can you know have a nice conversation. So he's a he's a tremendous guy, and I'm I'm glad to hear that. Um, and man, it sounds a like you're going to be really busy at the con, which is cool, but it gives a lot of people to see you up on stage and reasons, uh, tons of reasons to come to your, I'm assuming you're going to have a table. Yeah, I'll have a table. I'll be selling books. I'll also be selling animation scripts, uh, cool. from the various shows I've written and, uh, Gargoyles, Young Justice, Wow. Spider-Man, et cetera. So, uh, um, you know, I, I sell all that stuff. That's great. Yeah, that's fantastic, man. You know, and honestly, and I, and I don't want to, like, do you have to go? Because if you have to go, I'll, I'll wrap up. Uh, you know, I got 10 minutes or so. Okay, I appreciate it. Real fast. Um, I'm, I, I'm glad to hear that you're getting into the young adult uh, world because I know a lot of really talented people are joining the young adult book world. And obviously that is its own sphere of, you know, influence. And, and I don't even know how you... You know, I, I imagine it's getting to the libraries and, and, you know, convincing them to carry your books in the schools and things like that. God, I feel like I'm like 80 years old 
right now <laughs> describing it the way. Yeah, I, but, you I, know. I have, honestly, I, I don't know either. I okay. Mean, uh, I wrote these books. I didn't even, the first book I, when I wrote it, uh, I didn't even know it was young adult until someone told me that because, oh, I see. You know, my, my protagonist is 13 years old, but, and they're like, oh, so it's a young adult book. I'm like, okay, if you say so. Um, <laughs> but because, you know, I wrote the book the way I write the cartoons, like we talked about. You sure. Know, you write it on levels, there's stuff there. You know, uh, my book's about a 13-year-old girl named Rain Kasink who uh, lives on a chain of Caribbean islands called the Ghost Keys, and her parents work in the tourist service industry, and they own a bed and breakfast, and Rain already at age 13, you know, has all these jobs, you know, making beds for tourists, serving them breakfast, cutting bait on her dad's boat for tourists. She just feels trapped. Like, you know, she'll graduate high school and spend her entire life on these same eight islands and go nowhere and do nothing important. And then she finds out that she has this ability to communicate with ghosts, to see dead people um, and talk to them. And she finds out she has a mission and a mystery to solve and a destiny. And, you know, so there's ghosts and, and vampires and mermaids and all sorts of cool, fun stuff in the books. Um, but you know, I wrote them. I like, I write anything. I wrote it to entertain myself kind of book that I'd like to read out loud to my kids when they were young. Um, and I did, you know, I read it out loud to my kids, the first book when they were little, cause I wrote the first book 14, 15 years ago and couldn't sell it. Um, but in the interim, there was this little property called Harry Potter. You may have heard of it. I have, uh, and, uh, you know, it changed the whole young adult fiction world. And suddenly, sure. you know, the kind of book I'd written was interesting to publishers. So St. Martin's Press bought the first book and asked me for the second book in the series, which I wrote. Over the year, I was also doing Star Wars Rebels. Okay. And uh, the, so the both books are out now. Um, and I think there's plenty there. You know, I read the second book out loud to my kids, and now my you know, my kids are 20 and 17. Um, and it was just, you know, it's the kind of story that I think works for younger kids, but works for teenagers, works for 20 year olds and works for old farts like me. Um, <laughs> and, but it's, it's, it's young adult because the protagonist is 13 years old. Sure. Oh, it's like, and that yeah. Defines it. So, um, and, but it, it, you know, I, I had so much fun writing these novels. Uh, I'm very proud of them. I think if, you know, you like my work on Garwells or Young Justice or any of those shows, you'd really like these books. And, um, so, but yeah, in terms of figuring out how to get the word out there, it's tough. Well, that's why, uh, you know, you know really tough. no, I understand. But like you said, and I'm glad that, you know, we're, we're talking about it here because, um, yeah, that's the thing, man. You know, they discover you on one property, they get hip to who wrote it, and it's like, all right, I want more of this guy's stuff. And that's the thing. You've got to, like I said, you got this great track record. You've written wonderful things. The show, I'm curious about the showcase shorts, because damn it, I love those. And I'm really glad that they even released that separate DVD of a bunch of them as well. Did you just work on the Green Arrow one? Is that the only one you did? Yeah, that was just, that was my one. Okay. Because I, I really, again, felt like... These were like, first of all, slick as hell for only being twelve minutes long, fifteen minutes long, maybe. Yeah, you know, so long ago now. I don't remember exactly how long. Although it was a 
big issue at the time. I think they were, yeah, 15. I want to say 15. Okay. But I, I'm honestly not sure it's been so long. But that's... I mean, I mean, it's been a while since I've even watched it. I can appreciate that. But, I mean, that's the thing. And it's, you know, still when Adult Swim and their, you know, 12-minute shows were more jokey and stuff like that, I was just always impressed, and Green Arrow was a perfect example of that, of the level of story, characterization, and... Uh, just a complete story because, and especially in comics now, and here's another, here's, you know, uh, a separate question, but I mean, um, uh, let me just congratulate you on telling such a slick, very cool story uh, with Green Arrow and Black Canary and everything you did in the short. But as you get back into comics and they are, you know, everything's kind of geared towards the five issue arc and stuff like that. I know when you wrote the Young Justice comic, a lot of those were maybe connected, but done in ones as well. And also, certainly I know early on, too, very tied to what was happening in the TV show and uh, in, in its own way, kind of a supplement to the TV show. But, you know, how, are, how is writing in the comic book pacing of, of a five issue thing compared to when you were writing Captain Adam and stuff like that? Well, the truth is, it's not that different. Um you know, uh, when we wrote, we did Captain Adam, we, I, I think it was just looser in the sense that this story's one issue, this story's three issues, this story's four issues. You know, in other right. words, we, we, we just let the story be as long, I mean, as many issues as it required, and no one in those days, I think, was giving a lot of thought to specifically saying um, this has to be into a trade paperback. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so the only difference here is it's like, okay, no, we're going to plan it a little more. So when we did Young Justice, because um, they wanted the book to be an a all-ages book, um, which I think some people take to mean a book only for kids, whereas we did it, we wrote it just like we wrote the TV show. Um, the initial reaction from D.C., I think, or from the Johnny DC group that we were part of at the time, um, was we'd like single issue stories. And I just said, no, um, uh, you know, I said, you know, doing an episode of a TV show is about the equivalent of three issues of a comic book. Um, and you know, we do a three act structure in television and, and in terms of being able to get that amount of content in, it's about three issues. I said, you know, I can write really tight and we can get it down most of the time, not every time, but most of the time to two issues. Um, and so we did a lot of two issue stories. So, you know, we do start a story end on a cliffhanger, mm -hmm. finish the story in the next issue. But the big exception to that was our last arc, our young justice invasion arc, where we set out very much to do a six issue this will work as a great trade paperback, you know, single story. Okay. And so it's just about planning. It's the same thing on Star Wars Canaan. You know, you just, for me, it's about planning in advance, but I would do that anyway. So, you know, I'm, I'm a guy who's big on uh, having a bulletin board with a lot of index cards and moving the index cards around until I feel like the story is clean and working. And I would do that anyway. So the fact that I know five issues, on some level, it almost makes it easier because it's like, okay, there isn't any question about it. Oh, should this be three issues or four issues or six issues? No, no, it's, it's five. It's five. <laughs> or in the case of Young Justice, that one was six. But the point is, is that by having that information in advance, it actually helps you out. It helps you figure out what your cliffhangers are going to be. And 
understood. That sort of thing, and, and so it's useful. All right, real real fast to wrap up because you went back to Justice League Invasion and it and it can tie into the McDuffie Awards and what you talk we're talking about with diversity. Seeing the milestone heroes work with the DC universe was so great in Young Justice. And I mean everybody was was excellent and it was really exciting to see that happen and stuff. Um like was that tough to get permission for or you know, and I imagine that- on the TV show, it wasn't tough at all. Um, I, I don't know. I, I don't pretend to know what all the politics or legalities are, but, you know, uh, we were told at the time that we started that, I mean, DC can seem to, at least, as far as we knew, control those characters. So, you know, our plan was to put Rocket and Icon to sort of tease them in season one and then really introduce Rocket at, toward the end of season one mm-hmm. and then introduce in a slow burn way, bring in static throughout season two so that by season three, which unfortunately we didn't get to make, static would be a full-fledged member of the team wow. in season three. And those are my three favorite milestone characters. There are a lot of other milestone characters I love, but but Rocket is my single favorite Milestone character followed, you know, right behind by Icon and Static. So I used my three favorites, and there was no issue. Now, for reasons that I don't understand, even though it was no issue using those characters in the show, it became an issue in our companion comic book, which was supposed to be in continuity with the show, for reasons that, again, literally no one would tell me. Um, even though we had used Rocket and... and uh, already in the in both the show and the comic book as of issue i want to say 21 or something like that we were told that we had to pull rocket and icon out and i don't know why okay i still don't know why well that became an issue at some point for dc i don't know when exactly but only for dc not for warner brothers and i don't know the reasons behind that either okay um well, it, it's, it's above my pay grade, I guess. It's all good, man. No, and that's that's okay. I mean, honestly, I was just happy that you were able to do that. It was great to see them. The the static show back in the day was fantastic. And, uh, you know, again, with the, with the McDuffie Awards happening this weekend at Long Beach yeah. and stuff. Well, I'm, a huge, I'm a huge fan of Dwayne's work. Hell yeah. Uh, and, and as much as that, a huge fan of what Dwayne tried to stand for in his work. Um, and... Uh, it's been a very important thing for me going back to to gargoyles at, at least, if not further back. Um, but you know, I want my shows or my comic books or my books, for that matter, uh, to reflect the kind of world I see, which is not a world populated only by straight white males. Damn straight. Uh, yeah. And so, you know, I, I diversity is a big, huge issue for me. Uh, always has been, and uh, I know it was for Dwayne as well. Um, and so, you know, anything I can do to support that is great. And again, I, it wasn't like using Rocket Icon and Static was me sending a message. I love those characters. Sure. Rocket is so much fun. Yes. Um, you know, so it, it, it wasn't a chore. It I'm was a, a yeah. joy to be able to include them. 
No, man, I agree with you. And, like, I was a huge Icon fan in Milestone Days, and it was just because, yeah, I happened to pick it up. It looked great. It read great. I'm like, this is a great book. Then, as you say, too, had the pleasure of, of uh, meeting and, and, and getting to know on an acquaintance level Dwayne over the years. And he always was just such a great guy, and uh, fortunate enough to have had him on Word Balloon as well. And, um, no, I think what everyone is doing is great. The time is right. I think it's a wonderful tribute to a guy that was always on the front line and just put out great work, no matter what the color or sex of the heroes were that he was working on it. And as you say, too, it's that straight white male uh, stereotype that is ingrained in us. Kelly Sue DeConnick was just on Word Balloon last week, and we were talking about it. And it really, to get it put that way has really kind of put me at a different level of, of understanding that and truly how important it is to just have everybody represented and not really fall, default back to that stereotype that represents a different time. And and that's, you know, fine. That was the past. But let's let's evolve and take everybody on the ride with us. And, and there's no reason why a great superhero, space opera, Western, you name it, uh, has to be a white, straight male character as its lead. If anything, it opens a lot of other story ideas when you do put somebody different in the, the driver's seat like that. And uh, I, I mean, I, we're all going to win. Yeah, we're all going to win. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, when we did uh, Gargoyles, our uh, lead human was female character Lisa Mazza, mm-hmm. uh, who was, uh, whose mom was African-American and father was Native American. And we got stories out of that. You know, we set an episode in Nigeria that dealt with the Nazi, the spider, and dealt directly with Elisa's uh, African-American heritage. We set another episode in Arizona that dealt with Coyote, the trickster, dealing directly with Elisa's Native American heritage. We got tremendous amount of stories out of that um, that we wouldn't have gotten if, it, if instead of Elisa Maza, it had just been, you know, when... Jones, you know, sure. and another white cop. <laughs> yeah. And, and look, I'm a straight white male myself. This is me sort of, there's no self-hatred going on I here. Have. This yeah. is me saying, I want to see the world I see. Indeed. I look out my window, this is what I see. That should be in the comics, that should be in the shows, that should be in the books. So, you know, my novels, Rain Cacique is uh, Native American of Taino descent. And uh, so that that need for diversity reflect, is reflected in, <clears throat> excuse me, is reflected in everything I do. Understood. Well, as your voice is giving, you've been very generous with your time, Greg. So I'll I'll uh, I'll let you go, but <laughs> only but only if you promise to to come back because really there is so much more to talk about and uh, give you an opportunity too, whether it's um. You know, one of the one of the books from this series that you want to promote, or um, when they announce the new cartoon or whatever, um, you're welcome back. And I and I hope you will come back because really it was a pleasure talking to you. And congratulations on the body of work that you've given us so far, and and all the entertainment that you've given us. And we only look forward to more. So keep it up. Thank you so much. And yeah, I'd be happy to come back anytime. 
So there you go, a taste of uh, what to expect if you go to this weekend's Long Beach Comic Expo happening uh, on Saturday and Sunday, the 28th and March 1st at uh, Long Beach Convention Center. I hope you get a chance to go out there and say hi to some of our friends. Let them know that you enjoy hearing them when they come on Word Balloon. Uh, that always kind of lets them know, damn, I, I guess people are listening to this shit. Well, they are, and that's good. And no, they know it, too. And uh, it, it, it was really a pleasure to uh, have both of these guys on, and I look forward to future conversations with both of them. So I uh, hope you enjoyed today's Word Balloon brought to you by InStock Trades at InStockTrades.com, where amazing deals continue to happen at InStock Trades. Don't forget, if your orders are $50 or more, you get free shipping. They always have an excellent selection of books at reasonable prices and usually beat the competition with those prices on uh, things like Quantum and Woody. From Valiant, you can get the Deluxe Hardcover Edition, Volume 1, for 30% off, just $27.99. You can get the Uncanny Avengers Omnibus Deluxe Variant Edition at 45% off, $54.99. Too rich for your blood? I got some uh, more uh, cheaper uh, deals for you. Uh, You can get things like Ed Brubaker and Sean Phillips' The Fade Out, Volume 1, Act 1. It's available at 50% off. It's just $4.99. You can get uh, Scooby-Doo Team-Up Adventures. Uh, The trade paperback is 50% off, $6.49. And that's just the tip of the iceberg. You can find a lot more great deals waiting for you at InStockTrades.com. John Suntra saying thanks again for listening to Word Balloon. Thank you, League of Word Balloon listeners, for your continued support. And uh, hope you enjoyed today's program. I I am always happy to uh, share this time with you guys and uh, present uh, interesting people that have a good perspective on what's happening right now in uh, the comic book business and the geek culture in general. And uh, these are the guys that are giving us uh, the content that we enjoy to consume. And it's great to hear what's going on in their minds as they produce this great material. So make sure you join me for the next episode of Word Balloon. That'll be coming up right at the beginning of March. And I hope to uh, hear from you then. As always, uh, the best thing you can do for me if you enjoy Word Balloon is let a friend know and um, turn them onto the podcast. And hopefully they will join you and uh, be able to hear the great conversations and have something else to talk about other than the crappy winter weather. We're almost out of February. Hang tough, man. Daylight savings kicks in in like two weeks. Thank God. Jesus. (sighs) All right. I'm braving the elements in Chicago. You know, we're flirting with single digits all the time, but it's going to end soon. Until next time, thanks for listening. Word Balloon is a copyright feature of Shaky Productions, copyright 2015.